Hi Pacers fans, this is Victor Oladipo and you're listening to Pacers Sound. Ten to shoot, played out there by Chandler, accelerates right hand, he's at the goal and he laid it up too hard, but Thaddeus Young puts it in. Thaddeus Young with a putback. The game is tied at 114 (laughs) with five and a half seconds left to play. Timeout for Denver. Hello and welcome into another Sideline Guys podcast. I'm Pat Boylan, Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. As always with me, TV host and sideline reporter Jeremiah Johnson. We do these once a week and sometimes these feel a little bit more interesting, like we have a little bit more to talk to than other weeks talk about than other weeks. And I think that's certainly the case this week. And, you know, if you would have said, I think, to any general NBA fan, any rational Pacers fan, back in September that on December 13th, when Oklahoma City comes to town, when Paul George visits Bankers Life Fieldhouse for the first time in an opponent's uniform, that the Pacers would be attempting to go to six games over 500 in mid-December and that they would be attempting to put Oklahoma City three games under here in mid-December. I don't think a single soul would have believed you, and yet that's where we are. That's where we stand. That is the beauty of sports is that you can talk about it and experts can make their predictions, and you think you have a pretty good idea, and then it's up to the players and the coaches to – Decide the outcomes on the court, and what this team has done this season has been remarkable. I think it's been talked about quite a bit, but it deserves continuing to mention the chemistry that they have, uh, the belief that they have in each other, and the execution that they've had. It's been great to watch, and I'm sure uh, we are not as close to the Thunder situation to know why exactly it has not worked. There were some concerns, I think, with, I heard some people using the old cliché, Uh, Only one basketball, and to have the third. Once they picked up Carmelo Anthony, I think there were some people who questioned whether it would work as well as everyone assumed it would be magical with just Paul and Russell Westbrook and then the other players that they already had. Um, But we're not as close to that situation, but it is very surprising to look at the standings and see the Thunder in the bottom of the Northwest Division, and, and divisions aren't as big of a deal, but... I mean, still, they're outside of the playoffs right now. Uh, probably in the Western Conference, if you look at the standings, I think you can kind of start to do that a little bit now, a third of the way through the season. Probably nine teams for eight spots, but they're the ninth team right now. And when the schedule came out, December 13th was viewed as kind of the one great night for the Pacers this season. And now I think it's just another in a long line of very uh, intriguing nights and nights to look forward to. All right, we have a lot to break down with this Oklahoma City game on Wednesday. Paul George coming to town. How might the fans react? How might the game on the court look? But let's get to where we uh, have needed to get to this point, what has happened up until this point this week, because it's a six-game homestand, the Pacers' longest in a decade. And so far, we are talking on a Tuesday afternoon, and the Pacers have absolutely taken care of business. They're 4-0 during this stretch, and I thought you had a tweet that summed it up fairly well, is that each game seemingly has gotten more exciting and more dramatic than the last. I think the game against Cleveland is probably the headliner of that group because you took out a team with a 13-game winning streak, and it's your second win already this season over the Cavs. But it started with New York. It's currently at its current state against the Denver Nuggets. The Pacers haven't always played well during that stretch, but they have always played well in the final moments, in the fourth quarter, in the last few minutes. Each game has been very different, but entertaining and for the most part thrilling, although the first one was maybe the one outlier of the four in that the Pacers dominated the Knicks. If there's been any other theme, it's been a little bit of a comeback has been necessary in the last three games. Big comeback against the Bulls, uh, down at times against the Cavs, but had to come back um, in the third quarter. And then in the uh, Nuggets game, I I really feel like my dad had texted me after the game on Sunday and said, you know, after that, which has been the best atmosphere or best game of the three, or the four, I should say. And I kind of felt like the Nuggets game because I think Denver is a really underrated team. I know with Jokic and Millsap, that's not a full indication of what maybe they could be. But the way they played, I mean, you had to play pretty well to beat them because they were really um, executing at a high level and they had you know, a career night from a guy like Trey Lyles. Gary Harris was really locked in. And I just felt like so many guys played well that Denver, a good team playing well, expects to win a game like that. And the Pacers played a little bit better, especially Victor Oladipo. So, I, you know, it's been a fantastic homestand to watch. And 
there is a chance to go six and zero. And I think Mark Monteith said maybe this team has to go four and two or five and one if they want to be a playoff team. He was saying that this homestand was that important because it was a break in the schedule and there are still some difficult road trips coming up in 2018 and he thought you had to have a successful homestand if you had any chance at a playoffs berth and at this point it's already been a success and it has a chance to be excellent. Yeah, I think uh, Mark's comment on the radio broadcast I thought was interesting. Mark Monteith on a pregame show, he was saying 4-2 and two is good, 5-1 and one is very good, and 6-0 and oh is great. So the good news for the Pacers is they've already achieved good, and they've got two more chances to get to very good and great. And we talked about this on previous podcasts looking at the homestand as a whole. Darren Collison had an interesting comment, I thought, because nobody will – Players are typically very narrow-minded, and coaches can be a little bit more uh, with, with a, a view from a, a further lens. But Collison made the comment that they're looking one game at a time. But often in Sacramento, they would go back and look at stretches like this, long stretches at home, long stretches with the schedule eased up where they wouldn't take advantage of things. And that would be part of the reason why they weren't where they wanted to be at the end of the season. So I think it's a very valid point to say, you know, we might be looking back in April – how this home stretch went and making some conclusions on, you know, that's a reason why they are where they want to be or aren't where they don't want to be. And the good news is the Pacers aren't going to have a bad home stand now. So it can only look positive. And you don't want to be needing late heroics from Victor Oladipo to beat Chicago, although Chicago's won three in a row since that game. So if they took that, the Bulls would have four straight wins. You know, you'd, you'd like to be able to beat Denver without their two best players, but the Pacers have really struggled against Denver in the last few years, and that's a team that still has a lot of offensive firepower without Jokic and without Millsap. And then, of course, the Cavs come in with 13 straight, and you play a really good game there. And I, I just couldn't believe that game was so bizarre because it was an offensive track meet for three quarters, and then you're in the fourth quarter. The Pacers, I think, led by three going into the fourth. They had six points in the first eight minutes of the fourth, and yet still somehow had a lead and won the fourth 17-16. to 16. So they found different ways to do it. It was defense in that game. It's been Victor Oladipo. You know, for all the talk about Oladipo's big shots, Thaddeus Young really probably had the biggest one back uh, against the Nuggets. So it's Oladipo, I think, has been the headliner. Oladipo has been unbelievable, fantastic all season, fantastic in this series, but it's it's been much more than him and many different ways that the Pacers have got it done in these four. This is one of those weeks where there is so much to talk about looking ahead, but it is necessary to look back. And just with regards to the win against the Nuggets, you know, you and I listened to some of the huddle conversations, and when that team went to overtime, there was no doubt in my mind the Pacers were going to win that game. And it was interesting to just feel the confidence that they had. And I said this to Victor, and I said it on the postgame show as well. You know, Lance Stevenson, he almost had a prediction that you could ne never believe could have happened come true. But in that huddle, he didn't predict it necessarily, but he implored his team that get stops and we win this game. He said, no, let's not let him score any points. And, and then there was a lot of talk about offensive execution and things they wanted to do on that end. But without a trash bucket at the end or a meaningless bucket, the Pacers would have closed regulation in overtime on a 20-0 to zero run, and they would have shut the Nuggets out in overtime. And this is considering Denver was a team that through three and a half quarters was executing at such a high level. So I think you've got to give the Pacers a lot of credit and the things I've been looking forward to in the next couple weeks this team's closing ability is very impressive, and some nights it's offensively, some nights it's defensively, but the fact that they have the ability to close in different ways, it's its really a good sign moving forward. Victor Oladipo right now, 24.5 points per game. He's doing it on 18.1 shots per game. The last Pacer to finish the season with those numbers, which is going to be very difficult to accomplish. It, it says something to do this over the course of 82 games, and we are at 27, a significant amount, but not 82. The last Pacers player to do that in those few attempts was Reggie Miller. So I think that speaks to itself just how well Victor Oladipo is playing. And I guess as we transition here into this Oklahoma City game and everything that comes with it on Wednesday, I'm, I'm, I'm just pulled up and I googled Paul George trade, and I'm looking back June 30th is the date that the Pacers traded Paul George to Oklahoma City for DeMontis Sabonis and Victor Oladipo. If you look at Twitter, it was almost universally criticized. And it's funny to kind of watch this timeline change because now I'm looking at a Washington Post article from November 2nd, so this is five weeks ago, saying... The Pacers are better than we thought, but that doesn't mean they won the Paul George trade. And yet now you're looking at articles today just from that same search in Google 
The Boston Herald, Pacers won the Paul George trade. Greg Doyle, Paul George wanted this trade, but Pacers are getting the last laugh. Bob Kravitz had a sim- similar stance and a similar article on it as well. And it's it's been fascinating to watch the public opinion change on this. I don't think anyone saw this coming. I was asked a, a question back when I was doing an interview on Monday with our Fort Wayne affiliate. Um, clearly, Kevin Pritchard saw Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis differently than the general public did. But do you think even he is surprised with how well this has gone so far. Not to speak for Kevin, this yeah. is tough, and I think it's yeah. interesting. A lot of people, I think, have said they are looking forward to talking to Kevin Pritchard, and he's someone who's been pretty media-friendly in his time, but he's wanted to kind of stay in the background a little bit. I think he said he'd do some interviews closer towards the midseason mark, but he did not want to be the story in the lead-up probably to this game. But he has to be aware of whatever thing is being said, I think, a little bit, even though I'm not sure that he really cares But to answer your question, I would say he's probably a little bit surprised because I think that he did this deal with an eye towards the future but with a thought that it could be okay this season. And so many times, I I think I hosted probably four or five different Q&A sessions with Rick Fusen and Kevin Pritchard in September and in October when the ticket sales staff were trying to have some different events to not only yeah uh, you know rally the troops just a little bit in terms of a fan base but also to try to you know get some people on board that maybe were frustrated by the offseason moves and every time I had a different takeaway but there were a number of times when the it was open up for questions from the crowd and someone would say well what's a realistic win total for this team and Kevin really shied away from that all he said was You know, last year we won 42 games, and it was one of the least enjoyable seasons that I had witnessed, and I was so frustrated at so many times. So he said, this season, we could win 20 games, but if we do it the right way, and I think if there is a foundation in place that he can look to the future, he would feel good about things. He said, we could win 50, or we could win more than 40 but as long as we're doing it the right way, that is what I care about. And I so I think that... He's not surprised with the way they're playing, probably is a little bit surprised with the record being 16-11 because they also do a number of you know, analytics. When the schedule comes out, they know when the months are that they've got to maybe tread water, the months they need to make their move. And the way this schedule started, October, November, I think they just had to be, you know, if they wanted to be a playoff type of team, they had to have enough confidence and success early to be able to, you know, hold their own, and then make a little bit of a run in December. Well, look at the last 15 games for this team. 11-4. and four. The four losses are at Toronto, at Houston, home to Boston, and home to Houston. So those are, if not top five teams, at least four of the top five. Because when you're at Toronto, that's there may be five or six right now, I think, in the NBA in terms of a lot of the power rankings. But at Toronto... There's maybe no better team in the NBA right now at home than Toronto. So they don't have a bad loss in their last 15. They've taken care of business. They've come from behind when they needed to. Everything has just fit. And a big reason it's fit is because of Victor Oladipo and Domas Sabonis. And so many fans wanted draft picks. Where are you now? Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is the the Brooklyn pick I think was the one we heard constantly. Exactly. Also. The Brooklyn pick right now is like eleven. Yeah. Um. I don't. I my guess is it ends up higher than eleven. But could you have imagined? We of course have no idea what the what the trade discussions were. I'm pretty confident in saying that whatever the potential offers are, the Pacers got the best one I, without even knowing what the offers were. Um. It's impossible to think they could have done better. But some of those. And Gary other- Harris was in on Sunday. Love yeah. Gary Harris, great player. But you could not find one person that is a NBA media expert that would have put Victor Oladipo in June or July next to Gary Harris and said, oh, I think I'd rather have Victor. You know, it's just (laughs) sometimes it's okay to have a differing opinion. I think some fans have come out on Twitter saying, I was on board with this all along. Some of those fans maybe were a little bit more of an IU-based opinion. Uh, But (laughs) it's good that Kevin Pritchard made the move that was uh, not as... uh, no one predicted. Yeah, and and early in the year, we heard Victor say, you know, I'm tired of being talked about as, you know, the guy who made the trade not work for Indiana. Sabonis even made a comment once at the beginning of the year saying, I'm not the throw-in player in a Victor Oladipo-Paul George trade. And so it's been fascinating to see this play out. You know, I they'll tell you 
They told us in the locker room, and I, I honestly think Victor's kind of tired of this. I fully believe him when he says that. But they'll tell you it's not motivation, but you do wonder. Um, you know, Gary Harris was on, I think, Zach Lowe a couple weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, and talked about how he was hearing rumors when he was overseas that he was coming to Indiana. So you know if he hears that, that Victor Oladipo at least is vaguely aware of it, and it does make you wonder. He has 47 points, his best night of his career, and it comes against Gary Harris, somebody who's from here, somebody who's also talked about in the offseason as potential to come here. And, and you know, rightly so, so much of the focus has been on Victor Oladipo. He's averaging 25 points per game, which is just unbelievable that that comment is even being said at this point in the season, especially considering, you know, he's he's not taking Russell Westbrook level of attempts. And, and I look at DeMontis Sabonis, and the per 36 stat basically takes a guy's numbers and averages them out if he were to be playing starters minutes, 36 minutes. And it's not always a fair stat because if I do great things in two minutes a game, you know, I'm not an NBA starting caliber player. But his numbers right now, per 36, if he were to play 36 minutes per game and be efficient as he is in the minutes that he does play, 18 points and 13 rebounds. I mean, th- those are stunning numbers, and he's playing 25 minutes a game. So he is playing a good amount of minutes. And when this trade happened, I was really excited for him because I thought people weren't looking at him enough. Everybody thought they knew what Oladipo was, but they weren't really talking about this 11th pick who shot under 40% from the field. And I think it's obvious to say that he was miscast, and fairly so. Oklahoma City needed Russell Westbrook to take you know 99% of their shots, but It's been amazing watching how quickly I think both of these transitions have happened. If you would have told me Victor Oladipo would turn into a top 30, playing better than that right now type of player, that wouldn't have surprised me. If you would have told me DeMontis Sabonis would be a really, really good pro, that wouldn't have surprised me. But what surprised me is that 27 games in, Oladipo's an all-star, and Sabonis is maybe sixth man of the year or right up there with those two. And remember how many conversations we had about gelling last year. I mean, those guys have done so much so quickly with so many moving pieces. Because of this trade, you could have leading candidates, and maybe not the guys that will win the award, but you could have top five vote-getters for most improved player, sixth man of the year, and coach of the year in Indianapolis. Yeah, and executive of the year. <laughs> Executive. That's what I put on Twitter yeah. on Sunday, and I uh, got a, quite a few retweets, and I had at Pacers Kev attached to that, so his phone was probably blowing up as well. But for all the talk about Victor Oladipo and Domas Sabonis, this week is about the guy who used to play in Indianapolis, and I guess I'll start with a question towards you. You had a certain level of expectation, or not expectation, anticipation for this game, and I know you said when the schedule came out, you wanted it to be as early as in the season as possible to get it out of the way. What is your anticipation level now? What do you think that fans should feel towards Paul George? Mine is still really high. However, I admit that it's not as high if the Pacers were to be really struggling and Oklahoma City were to be doing really good because I think it's been easier to move on from that era. Look, Paul George did a lot of good things here, and, and we'll get more into that, I think, here in a, in a bit. But, you know, I've always kind of felt the opinion, and I I know you've done radio interviews, I've done them, and we've gotten asked this question, what should fans do on Twitter 100,000 times? My opinion is you should do what you want. Like, if you're really mad that Paul George, the way he exited, I understand that, and and he did leave the the Pacers in a really tough position. Kevin Pritchard and company got their way out of that position, and, and they turned it into a really positive, you know, uh, thing. And, and maybe something that it's also crazy to say this, it maybe just as a trade, you would have done anyway, even if Paul George didn't demand that. I know that wouldn't have been the case, but just looking at the way things have happened now. So I think if you're really frustrated at the way he exited and, and you want to boo and you're paying money to be here, I have no problem with that. If you're somebody who says, look, the Pacers could be in Kevin Durant uh, territory or Gordon Hayward territory, and they at least got something out of it despite him not handling it the best way possible. And Paul George did a lot for the team. He was the best player on a team that came a win away from an NBA Finals and one of the top three players of all time away from the NBA Finals. And you want to cheer or you don't want to make any comments, I think those feelings are all valid too. I think it's still pretty early. I think things are still pretty raw despite how well things have gone for Indiana. And I think you're allowed to uh, feel any way you want. And I would understand, I think, just about any opinion on those. I would agree with you. Definitely you cannot argue with someone that pays money for a ticket to come to the game and to have you know their emotions uh, let their emotions out because I think people were very emotional in July and August. And I referenced some of those Q&As with Rick Fusen and Kevin Pritchard. And for the most part, I felt like the closer 
that we got to the season starting and the farther removed we were from the trade, more and more people I talked to were looking forward to the season and they were excited about seeing what this group could do. Initially, it was that first week that I think everyone just sort of thought Paul George was the franchise player. You got him because of a great draft selection at number 10. The Pacers never pick in the top of the lottery. And it was this once in a you know generation type of player that you don't have anymore. And I think it was partially a little bit of pain because say what you want about, you know, people will say right now that Paul never wanted to be here. I don't think that's entirely fair. I think Paul did a lot of things uh, not everyone saw and he wasn't from here, but I think he did a pretty good job of embracing the situation. I think towards the end is where it got difficult and frustrating. And, and you think about the end, I'm saying the last maybe year because, you know, the, the second to last season he was here was a lot about coming back from the injury and he still knew he needed to work to get to that level that he used to be at. And I think it was maybe just that frustrating final season and the thought that maybe this isn't going to happen and maybe it's time. And he had a lot of people talking to him, agents, marketing people, family members, you know, saying, okay, another year, another frustrating seven seed and a loss in the first round, and you're not getting any younger, and maybe it's time. And eventually he believed it, that it was time. So I think the frustration from the fans were from how it ended, obviously. What he said at the softball tournament about, <laughs> you know, being a Pacer and wanting to help lead the Pacers to a championship. He was, you know, he wasn't completely. He didn't. He said what fans wanted to hear, but if you went back and listened to all the comments, you could say, "Oh, well, maybe he left himself a little bit of an out." I'm going through my Twitter and, and trying to find a couple of comments because there were a, a couple people who had, as fans, comments on the Paul George scenario, and they were complete opposites. And yet, I was sitting there, kind of nodding my head at, at both of them, and I'll, I'll have them pointed out here if I can find them. That their past last so game many was, mentions for you. Uh, well, it's what, tough to find. When them. you have a when you have a game like. <laughs> Saturday nights was, uh, you know, your twi- – okay, here we go. Alan Patterson, MD, uh, agreed he should get a standing O, should be no hard feelings because Pacers wouldn't be as good if they were if he were still here um, because Victor Oladipo is playing better. DeMontis Sabonis is also playing great, would be best if nobody boos him. And then there were a couple of people uh, who responded to Alan saying, you know, what are you talking about? This guy left us high and dry and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think you're going to see this is m- bigger than Lance Stevenson coming back, but that was kind of a mix of reactions. And I think the, the thing that maybe Pacers fans have the toughest thing to deal with this whole thing was it was almost like um, I, I think some people took it, and maybe fairly so, that um, we're not – big enough for him or he ran to greener pastures or you know Indianapolis it was was not good enough for him and and I agree with you I don't think that's totally fair because I do think he gave everything he could for many years here until the very end of that situation but I think that's where some people struggle with is you know um you know, Paul, maybe we weren't quite as far away as you might have thought, and maybe this year is is somewhat of an evidence of that, although I don't think they're where they are without Oladipo and Sabonis. But I think I think looking where Oklahoma City is, and I think looking where the Pacers are right now, and I'm somebody who's still on the record right now saying I think Oklahoma City's going to figure it out, but 25 games and 26 games and they haven't, um, I think it's made it easier. I think Pacers fans realize that they're in a better position because of it, that I don't think many would undo this trade, and so I think the reaction will be different. So you don't think it will be as loud because people are happy. I think that's maybe the way it should be, but I think it's caused fans to be arrogant Arrogant. is not the right word, I don't think, but a little bit like a little more self-confidence, like, yeah, look at us now, and they want Paul to see what the Pacers are, and their way to show that will be to be loud, and you boo because it's a natural reaction boo but really it's hey look at us and that's I think what they want him to see I think it'll be something that'll change over the years and that's the case with almost every you know situation like you look at LeBron with the Cavs and all those things that first game back was I can't even imagine and that will not be this that is true that will not be this but I think as the years go on it'll be something where I think some of those boos will shift to cheers somebody tweeted and this will never happen because it's not the nature of fans to say neutral but somebody tweeted, and I thought it an interesting point, you know, if Paul George were to get announced, 
and there weren't really much of a reaction at all, like that would be almost the best way of saying. I heard Kent Sterling say that I think yeah. on on the radio where he said that's what he would would do because it would bother. It would it that would, would bother him more than boot. Just like oh, I'm here. Nobody, nobody, nobody cares. I, <laughs> I, was, I was. I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> it won't. It won't. There's not going to be eighteen thousand fans in this building doing nothing. But that that would be, you know, kind of the way to say, you know, look, um, we've moved on. You've moved on, and we're okay with it. And I think uh, not to, uh, you know, let our secrets out in television, but there's been some discussion about maybe showing both teams starting lineups on Fox Sports Indiana on Wednesday. So I'm uh, not, not 100% sure that that's going to happen, and that's not something we normally do. I don't know that anybody shows starting lineups in regular season games in the NBA with the exception of uh, the Bulls and the Heyday. I used to remember watching those, and, and that was pretty cool. Uh, maybe Michael Grady can come back on Wednesday. No, <laughs> because we know if he would have announced Paul George, he would have said Paul George. <laughs> right. And maybe there will be something on the big screen. I have no idea about that on Wednesday. The entire atmosphere is a lot of like, I wonder what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But all I, I told you yesterday, I I still was kind of debating on what I, what my official take was on the situation and what I wanted to say about it. But I do think there has to be a little bit of respect for what he has done. But just move on. Be be happy with where everything is right now. Um, I think fans were just hurt because it was almost like Paul gave up on them and took maybe what some perceived as the easy way out. And one other thing I wanted to say, you know, there were many times last year, and it's so easy for people to say this season, well, that team last year, they would have never done this. And I think you know, a lot of the time they're right. But there were some big wins, and there were some really good moments. And I can remember a couple of times during walk-off interviews with Paul George, I did sense a lot of joy from him. And, I, you know, it's kind of a simple, probably a little bit of a cliche question. But I think it is something fans want to hear. And so sometimes I spin it a little bit in a different way, but try to get that general theme out maybe more than I should. But I'd ask Paul, you know, how much fun are you having? And I wouldn't just do it if they've lost five in a row and they win one game. But if I sense that it looked like they were maybe starting to put something together or it was a really big game, and I think he was genuine. I think they were having fun, but they just were never able to do it to sustain anything. And Victor Oladipo, I don't even have to ask him how much fun he is having. It's like the first thing he wants to say, and he credits all of his teammates. And I think just the way he's played – and the what he has said, some of these interviews, and I'm not taking any credit for this because for Victor, especially with that first question, I don't even have to ask anything. I just put the mic in front of him and let him share some of his initial thoughts. But I think people are so refreshed by how he does it, what he says, and everything about him that it has made everyone able to move on so quickly. The only other point I wanted to make on the side of Paul George is – I've heard this a lot, and it's kind of an inaccurate nugget, I guess. I even heard it yesterday on a radio interview I did um, about how Victor Oladipo in 27 games has already hit more clutch shots than Paul George. Like Victor Oladipo through 27 games has hit more clutch shots than Paul George ever hit, maybe even in a season. But there's a stat that kind of got out of hand, which, and I don't remember exactly what it was. It was like go-ahead shots that ended up being the game winner in the final 20 seconds or something. And that's the where Paul was 0 for 14. It was in that stat. But it wasn't the stat that Paul George has never hit a clutch shot in his life. Eastern Conference Finals, um, I think it was game one against Miami that they ended up losing. He hits that deep three to send it to overtime. He hits three free throws uh, late in that game. Uh, he had a lot of moments where he hit clutch shots. But it is true that, like what Oladipo did against San Antonio, that game winner, Paul never did that. So I think there's been a little bit of a mis- misnarrative that all of a sudden Paul George never hit any big shots because he did. And I don't mean that to take away anything from, from Victor Oladipo because what Oladipo has done this season is phenomenal. And, yes, he has hit a shot this year that Paul George never hit in his career. But it's it's not like for – his whole time here, he never hit a big shot. And I think the Gatorade commercial kind of compounded that, and I'm not sure in hindsight, although maybe Money Talks, that that was the best place timing for that commercial to come out from Paul's perspective. But, you know, while 
while I don't think Paul has ever done anything in a stretch of play like Victor Oladipo is doing, the narrative that he never hit a big shot is not fair. Just while you were talking, went into Twitter and typed Paul George Clutch, and I think, uh, I don't even know this person, at IB Fireproof, uh, senior HE, (laughs) some business, so I don't know, maybe it's a bot, but it says, Paul George is notoriously poor clutch scorer, as evidenced by research from ESPN, 0 for 15 on potential potential go-ahead shots in the final 20 seconds of games. Potential go-ahead shots, so that falls under under one of the clutch categories but then you could also find may 28 2014 21 points in the fourth quarter may 28 that's a playoff series against the heat tonight was paul george's night so you're correct i mean there were so many good paul george moments and think about all the kids that had the paul george jerseys and you know my son you know loved paul george and so many others did as well still Enjoy Paul George for what he is, but embrace the players that you have right now. And I think that's what, for the most part, fans are doing. And do whatever you've got to do on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere because when the schedule came out, I was wondering, okay, are we going to have you know a buzz in the building? Are we going to have that big-time atmosphere? We know we will December 13th. What's it going to be like in March and early April? Because I was, you know, in our jobs— there's no thought about, oh, it'd be better to not be good. You know, we want the team to be successful. It makes our job so much easier. It makes it easier to, you know, get through the 82 games. And I can get through is not even a, a proper word to describe it. But you want to be competitive and you want to be relevant. And you knew December 13th would be a relevant game and a, an intense atmosphere. But what we have seen is credit the front office, credit the coaching staff, and credit the unselfishness of this group. Uh, the Pacers are relevant right now. They certainly are relevant. And I guess to kind of close my thoughts on it, you can come here on Wednesday night and be frustrated and boo Paul George and also you know, realize he did a lot of good and then also leave with a little bit wider of a grin if the Pacers win and or finish the season ahead of Oklahoma City. Like I, I don't think it has to be one straight, harsh, hot take. It can be Paul, man, like you, you did us kind of dirty when you left, but like you did a lot of really good things while you were here, and you know ultimately it didn't end up. How, how does we that sound in uh, during the lineups? That, that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like yeah, um, you want that to be the copy? <laughs> <laughs> you did, yeah. But uh, so you know, I'm gonna boo you right now, and I'm gonna still remember that you did a lot of good things, and I'm gonna want the Pacers to win maybe more than I did in any other regular season game, and if they do win, and that's I'm what you would thrilled. expect, I think. I think so too. So, yeah, but I, there I, is no need to be venomous. I don't think. I don't. I agree. I agree. But you if can, you want to be, it's fine. I'm you, not going to tell you. You, you can't. can frustration boo, but I, yeah, I I think that is the general thought. Is you can have two feelings about this and express them different ways, and you know that that's why I think I don't really have a hot take with this, and I try to think back to more of fan me before I started working here as a, a college kid, and I don't know if if you have the same thought, but I think I my frustration would have been. F- um, dropped based on what's happened this year. Like I think I would be, I would be less harsh if I were to come to this game as college fan Pat with the way things have transpired this year than maybe I would have thought on June thirtieth. I think it totally, and I think it's more of just wanting to be, you know, stick out your chest a little bit. If you're a proud Pacer fan, you're proud of where this team is right now, and you almost want to say, you know, see Paul, it wasn't that bad here after all. It could be done, and. Let's also caution, long season. Still a lot of games yet to play. Who knows how things are going to go with both OKC and the Pacers. But uh, so far, so good from this side of things and looking forward to the atmosphere on Wednesday night. So in a couple minutes here, let's let's actually talk about this game because it is, of course, more than Paul George. And, uh, you know, an interesting stat that this is, this is really stunning and, and probably explains Oklahoma City's struggles. Of players that have taken 400 field goal attempts, and this comes from television producer Max Leinwand, the worst shooter in the NBA is Russell Westbrook. The second worst shooter in the NBA is Carmelo Anthony. The fourth worst shooter by percentage in the NBA is Paul George. So they've really struggled. But bottom line here, 
this is a team that's going to bring two top 15 players into Bankers Life Fieldhouse and another wherever you want to put Carmelo, but he has hurt the Pacers in the past. I know they're struggling, but you still look at this team on paper, and there's so much firepower there. And despite the fact that the Pacers are up and Oklahoma City is down, this is going to take, I think, a Cleveland-type effort to come away with a win. Absolutely. I referenced the four losses the Pacers have had in the last 15 games against teams that I would put in the top five of the NBA, but the team that I saw at Oklahoma City um, October 25th also reminded me of a top team. I mean, they beat the Pacers 114-96. to They were rested and angry, and the Pacers were on the second half of the back-to-back. So schedule and circumstances did not play into the Pacers' favor. But what I saw with my own eyes that night was enough to think, these guys are still pretty good. But remember that game? Paul George, foul trouble. Yeah. 10 points, 4 for 8, played 19 minutes. Victor Oladipo, 35 minutes until this explosion in the last week, his season high of 35. And he never had 30 points in any game with the Thunder. So while it was... A 114-96 victory for the Thunder over the Pacers. You saw some signs of what maybe the Pacers could do. Victor really in that game just did not get you know, any help. Thaddeus Young had 14, Collison with 18. Pacers are not good when only three players hit double figures. They're a balanced team despite Victor and uh, to have five or six. So I saw, though, the Thunder have it in them. But we have not seen any consistency, and in a way, there are some similarities to this year's Thunder team to what we saw last year, where you take one step forward and two steps back. A natural transition here as we take a look now, Jeremiah, at our pick three, which this week we have decided to make it best home atmospheres of the year. And I really feel like Bankers Life Fieldhouse, the players have touched on this so much, but it's not it's not players speak, it's not hyperbole. I think the atmosphere has been really, really impressive. Um, those that are in the Fieldhouse have been loud, they've been active, they've been engaged, and we've had a bunch of fun games during this home trip, but a, a really good home record overall. A lot of exciting games for those that have chosen to attend. So our pick three is going to be uh, three most exciting home court environments that we've had this year. We'll let you start. I'll start with the Thanksgiving weekend experience. It was home against the Raptors, home against the Celtics. The crowd, I believe maybe the largest of the season, was that game against Toronto in a great atmosphere and really one of the Lance Stevenson experiences in that victory against Toronto, a hard-fought game and really the entire weekend I just I love that day after Thanksgiving game I thought there was a buzz in the building both of those nights there have been a few crowds maybe on the Mondays or Tuesday games this season that have not been the best but by and large even though it has not been a sellout crowd um, this season I think that it's been a great atmosphere and I'm going to look back to that win against Toronto as one that is one of the better wins of the season and I just remember the 8 o'clock start, the tree lighting, and everything that went into that game, a little bit of a rivalry between the Pacers and the Raptors. We saw another moment where Lance Stevenson got DeMar DeRozan a little upset about things, even though I think he overreacted quite a bit in that particular instance. I think there's a rivalry developing, and so specifically, I'll go with great atmosphere Day after Thanksgiving, Pacers-Raptors. My pick will go the week before this, the Friday before that weekend, and that's when the Detroit Pistons were in town. They were riding one of the best records in the NBA. They'd already beaten the Pacers once this season, and Lance Stevenson had really struggled in the early part of the season up until November the 17th against Detroit. The Pacers were trailing by 22 points at one point in that game, and Lance Stevenson wholly led the charge back for the Pacers. He was electric. He was dominant on the floor. He was great on the defensive end. He was into the crowd giving high fives. And it was the first time you felt the Lance Stevenson effect, if you will. That's almost becoming cliched at this point. But um, it really was true for that game. The first time you really felt him make his mark on a game. And that was November the 17th. The season started on October the 18th. So you could feel some real frustration that he had gone a month without really having much impact on the floor and it's almost like he saved up a whole month's worth for that game because he was fantastic in it and the Pacers uh, came all the way back a huge deficit against Detroit and I think it really kind of sparked them going forward and obviously with with Lance the crowd it's a whole different animal I mean even when he checks into the game in the first quarter (laughs) of like a six-point game with like 
three minutes left in the first, the crowd goes nuts, and uh, I love it. Uh, you know, when he's when he is on, he is certainly a weapon, and that's even more true at home because the fans get behind him so much, and the players talk about how much the crowd means to them. And Lance is the guy I think that can spark that offense. So the Pistons, that Pistons game, and what Lance Stevenson did, my pick three. An important game for this team to win when you consider the Pacers and Pistons could be fighting for a playoff spot at a similar. Uh, seed or position in the Eastern Conference. So that was a great atmosphere. And I, I think we have to talk about this homestand because in April, I think this six-game homestand will be one that I think everyone looks back on as being very important to the season. And a great atmosphere Friday night. Cleveland Cavaliers, they come to town with a 13-game win streak. You can go a number of seasons without having an opportunity to knock off a team with a win streak quite like that. Then you throw in the fact that LeBron James played so many times in recent seasons. It's been memorable that he has rested against the Pacers. It was a great atmosphere. It was an entertaining game and one that was very unusual because of the third quarter, the Pacers outscoring the Cavs 32-23, and then both teams combining for 33 points in the fourth quarter. Um, the offenses struggled in the fourth, but you saw Victor Oladipo come to the rescue once again. I think it's clear that that was a game that we should combo our pick three pick. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to be a part of, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but just how the game started, nobody could stop anybody, and then at the end, uh, the defenses were stout. But uh, we certainly noticed those fans in attendance. I mean, you can feel it down on the floor. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if you're up in the stands, especially if you're higher, and all that noise is is penetrating traded downward if you really can tell just how loud it is on the floor but you're down on the floor I'm down on the floor I mean it's loud it's a it's a significant factor it's a significant game changer and you know players when asked you know what do you think of the crowd if I ask Victor Oladipo what do you think of the crowd regardless he's probably going to say something positive but to you especially but uh, to all interviews We've gotten answers about the crowd that we have not even asked. That's just kind of been part of their answer. So they, they wouldn't bring that up naturally without really noticing the crowd and what it has meant and what it has been to this team. And, you know, they, the Pacers have that, that long, long home win streak, which I don't think is a coincidence. 28 years? Is Going, it? yep, 28, 28 so consecutive far. years where the Pacers have been over 500 at home, and they're 10-4 and four this year on good track to make that 29. And I think you're sensing great atmospheres through the television as well. Friday night's game was the highest-rated regular season game on Fox Sports Indiana since 2015. Uh, we're in 2017, so uh, almost two years. It was December 30th, 2015, the previous highest-rated regular season game or the previous high-rated game. So uh, I think uh, some of what that atmosphere that we're talking about, I am happy to know that it's coming through the televisions and you're enjoying it at home. And we invite you to keep tuning in. We've got all 82 on Fox Sports Indiana. And if you get the opportunity to come to Bankers Life Fieldhouse and to experience the atmosphere for yourself, it is uh, worth the price of admission. So we understood going into this that this podcast was going to be a little bit longer than previous ones. We wanted to make sure we hit upon all aspects of what the Oklahoma City game coming up is. But let's take a look. We we asked for Twitter questions, and we aren't going to deny you those who came in. So We might have to go rapid fire. Rapid fire here. Let's start uh, with Joe Betts. Joe Betts, one of our frequent listeners and tweeters, says, What have you noticed about the way teams are beginning to guard Victor, and when can we say the Pacers won this trade? I think we discussed that part of it. I think the Pacers already won from their perspective. I don't think it needs to be necessarily uh, compared to Oklahoma City because there are a lot of factors in play from the Thunder perspective on this. They got Russell Westbrook to sign a contract extension, so in a way you could say they got what they needed out of this, but uh, I don't think anyone's going to ask for a redo from a Pacers perspective. What do you think about the way teams are defending Victor? Nate brought that up a couple of games ago in the post-game press conference, which I thought was interesting because I hadn't heard it, but it really makes a lot of sense talking about how he's seeing double teams, how he's the focus of defenses for the first time, how teams are game planning around him. And I certainly think you saw that. You know, Victor's hit a couple of threes, the San Antonio game, the Chicago game to win, and you go back to that game against Denver when he had the ball down two and that shot he missed at the rim that Thad put in, the defense on him was absolutely geared to keep him from taking a pull-up three with any sort of ease. And so he had to beat his guy off the dribble, get to the basket. He did. He missed the shot. Thad was there for the putback. That, a great example. And when you consider that teams right now, you know, they're saying Oladipo's the guy we got to stop. 
He just put up 47 points. He's He averaged 31 points uh, over the week, which he was recently just Eastern Conference Player of the Week. So, uh, I, you know, certainly he's seeing that for the first time, and, and so far he's passing with flying colors. And he's also passing. I mean, you passing with flying colors, but he is passing. And late in game, maybe he's the go-to guy, but there are stretches of the game where he is finding the open man so well in transition as well. Um, we might touch on that a little bit later, but I think it's uh, uh, the defenses will start to adjust and he'll adjust with them. Rob Reef says, how much of a chip on are on the shoulders of the Pacers since almost everyone, including diehard fans, originally wrote this season off before it started. I think it's um, a credit to Kevin Pritchard in the makeup and the kind of guys that he was able to acquire. And, and not just that everyone that came in is playing with a chip on their shoulder because the expectations were not high, but they all had individual expectations and hopes to become bigger and better and find more team success than they had previously. You know, Boyan Bogdanovich in Brooklyn, not a lot of team success. Then he's traded to Washington, and then at that point, Washington, you know, okay, but I don't know that he ever really, you know, established roots with the Wizards, and he wanted to establish. I think it was important for him to get an opportunity to start. And so you could say it was questionable that the Pacers – you know, told Boyan he's the starter in training camp with Glenn Robinson the third right here, but it's a move that's worked out because of what he's been able to do. And there are every you can go down the line. Everybody that's on this team has a little bit a little bit of a backstory in that they're here, they're trying to prove something, and you're seeing it on the floor every night. And I think one point to add to that is, you know, your post game interviews with Victor have kind of gone viral the last couple of times with the with the push ups and all of that. But I've heard multiple people say, you know, after putting up huge games game-winning shots, the first things he'll say to you are things that he wishes he could do better. And I think the fan base, it's an intelligent fan base, I think certainly notices that and appreciates it. They enjoy hearing that for sure. At Aussie Pacers fan, any update on Glenn, Darren, and Edmund's health? Uh, Edmund Sumner, I think he's a two-way contract if and when he gets healthy. I don't think you can expect him to be a contributor for this team this season, but I do look forward to seeing him in Fort Wayne at some point, and I'm thinking probably 2018, sometime in January, maybe for Edmund, although he's tweeted that he's been practicing a little bit more, so he's more of a practice participant right now. Glenn Robinson III was able to join his teammates on the bench. We profiled that on the broadcast last week. He's able to jump now as well. It's mid-December, so, you know, if and when he's able to practice, you're going to have another good couple of weeks of practice before you see him. So, you know, this is totally speculation. I'm probably going to say mid-January. And Darren Collison, the knee's something I think we have to pay attention to. It's been bothering him at different times. He's better when he's rested. I think he should be good on Wednesday. We'll see if he's able to play. I think, though, it may be something to look forward to the rest of this season, maybe some of these second half of back-to-backs. We're taping this right before practice, so we'll uh, unfortunately not know that information right now and maybe know it in an hour from now, but that won't, isn't available to us right now. And he's brought up uh, to you unsolicited about how good his knee was feeling a couple of weeks ago, so you know that's a significant piece. That was a change, though, from what it had been. So right. I know it's something the training staff is working on. They're monitoring, but it was the first time really this week that he appeared on an injury report. So a question here from Andre. Do you agree that Victor should be considered for the MVP race? I mean, he's having incredible numbers, and we all heard the fans on Sunday. I, it did catch me when the fans started chanting MVP, and it was maybe my one regret regret after the postgame interview that I did not ask Victor on the spot, did he hear the MVP chants and what did he think about them? But I did think, you know, maybe uh, – I'm not sure the best way to describe my thought on this. I thought it's probably a little bit early, but it was in the moment in this week where it's been an amazing week for Victor. Uh, no doubt a lock for that Eastern Conference Player of the Week honor. So I enjoyed hearing it. And you can't argue with what he's done and what he's meant to this team. And an MVP is someone that's usually in a playoff contending position. And sometimes it's someone who you're not expecting, but most of the time it's that top three or four player in the league. And as great as Victor's playing, I'm not sure that he's at that level just yet, but uh, deserves to be at least in the mentions. Certainly. I think it's, uh, you know, don't jump steps here. Let's get him into the All-Star game first. <laughs> he hasn't been an All-Star yet. But, no, I had the same thought just sitting there hearing the MVP chants. Who would have ever imagined back in on June 30th that we'd be hearing MVP chants in the 27 portion of the 2017 2018 schedule just the fact that he was an MVP for one game he was playing like an MVP level uh for that game and I felt the chance were you know fans are always going to be excited in the moment and I felt like they were warranted at wine Sherpa one another question that may be a little bit cart before the horse but he says can we expect these Pacers to be in one of the top four spots in the east by the all-star break well right now they are fifth so 
I don't know that it is unrealistic. Some of that might depend on injuries. I do think that from what I've seen through the first third of the season, I think despite the, the fact the Pacers have defeated the Cavaliers twice, I think it's fair to say Boston, Cleveland, and Toronto, I think, are the top three teams in the East. And if they stay healthy, at least as healthy as they are right now, and some of them will get a little better, uh, they're probably the teams you'd expect to be top three. So then if you're going to say, okay, are you a top four team? You're right now just behind Milwaukee. You've got teams like Philadelphia and Miami, New York. Washington. Washington has had some injury issues behind the Pacers. I think they can compete for that, but you're kind of living in a real positive moment right now, and you wonder how long this can last. Yeah, it's easy. It's, it is easy when you've won four in a row like this to all of a sudden start to wonder, you know, how high can it get? And remember that there are going to be peaks and valleys this year. Kevin Bowen, who writes for 1070 and does a podcast over there, I was listening to his, and I thought he made a lot of sense when he said he thinks there are three tiers right now. Boston, Cleveland, Toronto is Tier 1, and then the group of Bucks, Pacers, Wizards, Pistons, Knicks, 76ers, Heat is Tier 2, understanding that, you know, that's not saying they're all the same exact level, but just kind of putting them in tiers. That moved it down to the 10 spot, and then 11 through 15 is Nets, Magic, Hornets, Bulls, Hawks, which appear in Tier 3. So that's how I would put it right now, and the Pacers are in that middle tier, which maybe their ceiling is as high as four, but also, uh, you know, they got to keep it together because it looks like this playoff race is going to be tougher than uh, anticipated. Brian Eckstein, my guy Brian, uh, he asks, <laughs> is there a better Christmas song than NSYNC's Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays? I'm going to say yes. I'm a uh, big Mariah Carey. All I Ooh. want for Christmas is you. In fact, I heard it this morning, and my wife's real busy uh, in December with her uh, job as a personal stylist at Nordstrom, plug, plug. Um, but she uh, she tries to get in the Christmas spirit at home because sometimes she gets so busy and, you know, we've got games and such. So that's been, we've had Christmas music playing at our house quite a bit. And I, I'm on I'm on with Mariah Carey, I think. I'm, I'm on board with that thought in general. The uh, Elvis has a Christmas album, which I always like going to every once in a while. So I'm going to have to I'll throw that one. Try that one. All right. Uh, Ross, our friend Ross from the Corner 3 show at the Corner 3 Ross goes without saying, is Vic the front runner for MIP, most mm-hmm. improved? player all-star starter question mark on pg will fans boo every time he touches it should the pacers play a tribute video a lot of a lot lot of questions (laughs) that's a lot um next i'm gonna start asking ross questions and fill up his podcast Uh, maybe start with mip this is i actually hadn't thought about it until about a week ago and then now i'm like oh yeah for sure but i don't know the competition at this point yeah i i guess i haven't looked at these questions beforehand so i kind of i kind of like making them off the cuff rapid fire but then sometimes that makes this portion difficult when you could have you know looked a little bit more into it um i think porzingis is definitely going to be in this category i think devin booker is definitely going to be in this category although if those two teams fall away that's going to be tough for those guys um Giannis is going to be in the category because Giannis is jumping into i mean Giannis right now is averaging 30 points per game um so those guys are going to be in it but you'd have to say if you name five i'm not saying all those guys are ahead of them i'm just saying they're going to be competition if you have to name like five guys at least at the top of the list he's there if you if you have to go back down to guys who went from like seven to 17 or 18 points a game that's you know, a more in-depth discussion, but he's got to be in the conversation. I think he, if he stays at the current statistical level and the Pacers stay at a similar win percentage, I think he is the front runner because I think some of those guys, I mean, Booker was scoring points at will last season. Uh, Porzingis, you knew last season he was special. He has a little more scoring responsibility with Melo out now. And, you know, the Knicks appear to me to be a team that doesn't quite have enough. And so with their team success, if they don't make top eight, I don't think that he's most improved. I say, yes, he is the front runner. Now, all-star starter is interesting. Um, there are not many things my son enjoys more than the NBA all-star game and the lead up to it. And so he was badgering me actually about this yesterday, about if Victor's going to be the all-star starter. And I said, okay, well, let's just think back of who we know will be all-star starters. So I said Kyrie at guard. And then at forward, there are just now two guards and three front court players. And I said Giannis and LeBron. So there's three of the five. And then I started to think about another front court player. You know, I'm going to say probably Porzingis or Embiid, maybe. And this is this was just a discussion in the car on the way to basketball practice. Yeah. So that's what I said there. So there's four, but really there's one extra guard spot. And so I said, well, if Toronto is top three and DeRozan keeps these numbers up, 
probably DeRozan over Victor, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. The other wild card, too, is the fact that the starters are a fan voting. So a lot of times it can turn into a popularity contest, whereas the reserves are picked by the coaches, and that is more based on merit. Isn't the starting lineup now a combination with player vote, fan vote, or is that the whole team? No, you're right. That that did change, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think. I think that is the starters. It's... The players get a vote, the fans get a vote. I think the fans are 50%, players 25, and maybe uh, media or coaches 25. This will become a more pertinent discussion. We're getting close. And that's the other thing is we haven't heard any talk about all-star voting. So when does – that has to happen pretty soon. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Can't can't divulge that yet, but it's – There should be a campaign underway. (laughs) I got got an email that was labeled in all caps confidential this morning about that. You're probably not even supposed to hint around. We we can discuss that in – the somewhat near future. Sounds good. And then I will know I will be more educated. Connor O'Malley, does PG pull a Hibbert in a phantom injury DNP? Is his injury <laughs> substantial real, or is this just setting the stage? I was worried before last night because the two previous games, the calf injury, sore calf became calf contusion, and I said if he doesn't play Monday against Charlotte, I'm curious what will happen. Uh, but I think he played, and I think he will be here. And I don't think anybody will be letting him borrow his their blade. <laughs> yeah, he'll play, I think. Let's look at this uh, this final question here. I don't know how to pronounce that. T-H-U-E-R-S-H-E-N. This is a Lithuanian fan. I actually saw him, I think, on Pacers subreddit, and he follows the Pacers because of uh, DeMontis. However, he made the comment that he was actually kind of falling in love with the team and becoming a big fan of the team even though that's not normally his style. It's just to follow the Lithuanian players. But he says, as much as I love Vic, and that's a lot, I fell in love with the Pacers because of the play, the true balance team ball. It's almost a rarity in the NBA. Is there any threat of Vic taking over too much and team basketball taking a step back because of it? I'm not worried about this. A, I think Vic's playing well enough that you want him taking over when he feels he needs to. But I've never felt... um, I don't think at any point this season, like Vic is throwing up too many shots or like he's taking too many bad shots. I think he has a willingness to pass as well. So um, not an unreasonable question, but not on my radar. And I think this team is so heavily pick and roll right now. Um, If Vic has it up top and he's going to have Miles or Thad come and set a screen for him or DeMontis even, there are ways and wrinkles to come out of that and attack the basket and shoot or to pass. So I think he's going to make the right basketball play. And if he doesn't, then Nate McMillan will remind him of that. And in the Cleveland game, one of the things that I did notice during the huddle was he said to Victor, don't settle. And, you know, at times maybe he gets in a little bit of a mode. When he's in the zone, you want him to go and do his thing, but he doesn't want him to settle. And, he, you know, guys like Boyan are out there outside the three-point arc. Guys are rolling to the basket. I think that Miles Turner's offensive game has improved so much from when he came back from the concussion. To have 24 points and to almost do it under the radar against Denver was impressive. So I would agree with you, Pat. I'm not too worried about any of that happening. All right, so did we get through our rapid fire here? Are there any final questions you wanted to get to? Nope, I I think that's all. Thanks to everyone for uh, tweeting in. So we'll wrap this up. You know, the Pacers are closing this home stand with Oklahoma City, of course, on Wednesday, Detroit on Friday. It's then at Brooklyn and then right back home. So a lot of chances to catch the Pacers at the Fieldhouse, pacers.com slash tickets. You know, maybe we can kind of close this with similar thoughts we began them with, which are they're 4-0 on this home stand. Really an opportunity here to make a statement. You, even if you split these next two, you love 5-1 and one at the beginning, and that opportunity there for that 6-0 and homestand is still very available, very much a possibility, and that would be a gigantic boost, I think, going forward. Yeah, every game I make notes, and some of them change, and some of them I'm able to carry them over, and these are for um, you know in-game potential, in-game hits, and different things to say during the broadcast, but I, I continue to copy and paste the notes on the homestand from prior to the first game. And so this was the 13th homestand of at least six games in franchise history. The first since 2007. We've referenced that quite a bit on television. But only one perfect six or more homestand. 1973. Now the Pacers are still two games away, and I think the atmosphere will be such that I I think I feel good about the Pacers' chances on Wednesday. I think Friday, given everything that will have happened, will be one of those you've got to focus in games, but the opportunity is there. They had been 500 or better on 12 of the 13, so that has already been 
locked up. But uh, this has been one of those homestands to remember. And uh, one of our Pacer fan friends from London, or the London area, Aaron Emer, came to town for all of the games in this homestand plus the Celtics game. So he will see seven games in you know, a little over two weeks or 15 days maybe. And uh, right now could not have been better. I think he could write a little bit of a mini book on his experiences and what he's seen. We see them all. But to decide when a schedule comes out, okay, there's seven games. I'm going to come to Indianapolis. I don't have any family there. I really have nothing planned, but I'm going to go to seven basketball games. So far, he's seen some epic performances. I think we're going to invite Aaron to the podcast next week to sum up his experience. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. So a little teaser to what we have hopefully coming up next week uh, with Aaron. And, you know, it has seemed like so long since the Pacers have played on a road, but the, on the road. <laughs> but the way this schedule goes, they've got some road games now coming up, but they still don't have back-to-back road games for another month. So the competition is, is difficult. Um, Boston here, Cleveland here, this has not been an easy homestand by any stretch. But from just a pure home and road and difficult stretches of schedule – They've still got another month or so here where they've got an opportunity to take care of business and to start giving themselves some cushion between what is, you know, 8, 9, 10 and where they currently sit. 10 and 4 at home, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do in these final two games. But as you said, uh, interesting road, home, back-to-back coming up next weekend as well. But all of the focus. I, this is not one of those situations where you go to practice and you'll find anyone asking a question about a game Friday or Sunday. Uh, all of the focus right now, depending on when you listen to this, hopefully you catch it before 6.30 on Wednesday night. It's Pacers Thunder, it's Pacers Paul George, it's Victor Oladipo and Domas Sabonis, and um, it should be fun. 6.30 is when Jeremiah starts on the television side with the pregame show. We will start on the radio as well at 6.30 for a 7 o'clock tip, Pacers and Thunder. There are just a couple of tickets left available on pacers.com slash tickets but even if you get there and there aren't any tickets available you can just click the little resale tab up there and uh, you can purchase resale tickets for that game so we've talked about the crowd the environment would love to have another great one and i think uh, we're pretty much guaranteed one on wednesday and multiple pacers games coming up forward as well as the pacers holiday pack pacers.com slash holiday a five game ticket package that you can put uh, under the Christmas tree or whatever holiday that you celebrate in the holiday season. He's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. We'll talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.